On today's Pick and Pod, we welcome in Dan Devine of Ball Don't Lie around the nine-minute mark and put a bow on the Knicks and Nets seasons. From our WFUV studios in the Bronx, New York, it's the Pick and Pod. Drop us a voicemail at 347-903-WFUV. Now, here are your hosts, Kenny Ducey and Matt Rosenfeld. The playoffs are almost upon us. We gotta wait a little bit. Twenty-four hours. One more. Well, not one more than twenty-four hours. We got one more day of the regular season, and that is today. And it is the pick the pod today, April sixteenth, two thousand fourteen. Although it feels outside, like Like, it's February sixteenth. I hate that. It's brutal outside. Everyone hates it. Classic New York, just messing with you with the weather. Dan Devine hates it at your man Devine on Twitter and of Ball Don't Lie. He and I just chatted with him, so. He does hate it. I can confirm that. So we'll talk to him in just a second. Last night, Matt, you were at the Barclays Center. I was. The Barclays Center. And Mike Woodson, you got you got to experience I've what never, I get to experience literally all of the time. I've never been, I've never covered a Knicks game. I've never, you know, dealt with whatever they deal with, with Woodson and their players and all that. And I just being with the Nets all year, it's literally... The juxtaposition between the teams is unbelievable. Woodson is just like everyone surrounding him. I know I can understand why he looks and feels so uptight all the time. I was just kind of I was feeling kind of nervous just walking past the group when he was talking post game. I briefly caught him, and it was just outrageous. You know, they just played a great game, and he's still getting questions about you know his future and everything. It's just. It's got to be a tough life for that man. It does. It has to be. Um, and it's kind of because I remember, you know, like the Nets last year. I mean, it was nothing that. And then you also look at the um, like baseball. Like I cover the Yankees, and yeah, there's no like media like the Knicks media. There's not. It's it's, it's fun to be a part of it. Like I'm not gonna lie. It's hounding. It's. But the thing is, like you. And ba- like with the Yankees, I talk to the players a lot. Like I ask a lot of questions to the players. And in the Knicks locker room, like there are literally like eight, nine guys who are consistently out there asking questions. So it's like you don't even like you're not. I mean, unless you're like in a small group, like you're not gonna like everything's already yeah. asked, you know. But and it, I don't know. It's just a really different scene. But yeah, for Woodson, it's on the on the road, especially. In New York, that's even tougher because he's surrounded by media, and usually he's in the press conference, and they kind of just say okay after like three minutes he's done. But yeah, so I mean, no, he's he's uh, he's it's something else. Woodson. But they played really well last night. They smacked the Nets, and it kind of made me upset to see because it showed that the Knicks had it in them. And this was without Carmelo Anthony and players like Torrey Murray and Cole Aldridge, who have not been getting minutes all year, decided to play as well as they can and. Show Woodson maybe he had a tough year deciding who to play and who not to. Teray Murray should have played, like, all year. You saw that last night. He's, I mean, kind of. He can absolutely help you in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Why is he not a regular bench rotation player for the Knicks? He's the only He's the only Knicks point guard who can play defense. So it's it's a little ridiculous. And then even their their last game... The game after they were eliminated from playoff contention, they still ran Melo out there for like unbelievable thirty three minutes, thirty five minutes, something like that. Amari played thirty eight. It's like, what are you doing? I don't know. I, it fe- I mean, it felt Woodson like they had just, something to prove. Well, Woodson knows that he's not going to be back, but I mean, it's Melo's out for the rest of the season with a torn labrum right now. I mean, you really want your superstar? Who, Made no sense. I, I mean, people are out 
out there talking about, okay, well, maybe that's, you know, the Knicks trying to, like, run down his value or just kind of get mm-hmm. one last run out of him before he leaves or something. I just, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know about this team. And it was really weird uh, pregame this week, just, you know, the, the first time the Knicks were back since being eliminated, just in general, the first game since the Knicks were eliminated and Woodson talking pregame about where the season went wrong, and obviously, you know, he gave his Woodson's you know, again. You know, <laughs> you could point the finger at a lot of things, um, which is <laughs> but... not, not how he talks at all, actually. But yeah, it was uh, it was kind of uh, weird because he apologized to the fans, and he still brought up injuries. He talked about the beginning of the season. Well, let's not kid ourselves; they were plagued with injuries, but a lot like good coaches. Use their personnel well, to get around it. Well, it's kind of obvious now that the Nets last, were plagued with injuries. Well, Jason, a lot of teams are plagued with injuries. Jason Kidd was the coach of the Nets last year, I, or the Knicks. Sorry, I, I, ima- I imagine there was probably a good sixty forty split in Woodson say to Kidd say, with Woodson having the sixty. I totally just had to turn on your mic then, right there. You're you're just yelling about this right now. Yeah, I I don't really understand how the Knicks could be so bad. I mean, I, seeing Cole Aldridge last night kind of made me really pissed because Tyson was out for most of the game. He played the six minutes tops. And, you know, you can't play Amari 35 minutes anymore. So Aldridge got a lot. Oh, uh, well, you can, apparently. Aldridge, <laughs> Aldridge got a lot of playing time and was, so, was solid against, I mean, obviously the Nets don't have the best big men in the post, but against guys like Plumlee and Blotch, Blotch was terrible last night, but that's impressive. Why didn't he play more all season, Kenny? I don't know. Um, but I want to talk about the Nets for a sec because we have to talk about them and you know the Knicks, whatever. Um, their ceiling in the playoffs, which I asked Dan about before. Um, I think it's the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think they get past the Heat. I I don't I don't see them. Doing I would that. I would agree. And, would, and that's even if they're on that side of the bracket. Yeah, right? here's Depends. the. It really comes down to matchups for the Nets. I would say more so than anybody else. You know, the Heat. You match to the Heat. The Heat don't really have to match right. to you. If they end up, you know, beating this first round team, whether it be Toronto or Chicago, and I have to admit, Nets fans seem to think a first round win is in the books. I was talking to our friend Tom Lorenzo last night. Of SB Nation, and he he was felt the same way. Like Toronto's no easy out. Chicago has one of the best coaches in the league. Plays defense better than anyone except maybe the Pacers. I don't know why they think they can win a first round matchup for sure. But then if you have a tough first round matchup, how are you going to be prepared for a team like the Heat of the Pacers? It's going to be a long road if you want to make not, the finals for the Nets. I'm not not really scared of the Pacers though. I'm not. Scared? Uh, you per know se? why? Because of because last year, what really made them they don't have like three point shooting, right? It's not like you know a, a, a team that like like even the Clippers, for example, on, on the other side of, get of things on the West. Yeah, we can get hot from deep, and then you know they also ha- have somewhat like you know Blake inside. I mean, it's with them. Hibbert is not. He's, he's not, not good. He's not. I mean, he's he's a no. defensive presence only, which is he's right. good, but that's. That's and, four on five right, offensively. That's, I mean, that's Tyson Chandler right there, and not I mean, well, you know, old Tyson Chandler. Yeah. Um, and Lance is. I mean, there's just there, there's a weird kind of chemistry issue, and Paul George isn't isn't that top five player where he kind of was in the playoffs last year. Although let's I mean let's see if he returns to playoff Paul George. I mean maybe maybe there's just a different Paul George in the playoffs. But from 
Doesn't uh, seem like right. it. Right. Looking at it right now, it's we kind of hyped this guy up off of a playoffs run yeah. and a hot start to the season. We'll I don't see. know. I'm really nervous to see how Paul George performs. I think a lot's on the he line. Plays, he plays D. Oh, plays tremendous D. That whole team plays very good D. But when you're abysmal on the offensive end, it kind of puts you in a tough position. If a team gets hot, you can't really come back. So if the Nets win tonight, they'll clinch the five seed. Jason Kidd last night literally did not care whether they got the fifth or the sixth seed. He was just laissez-faire, literally said, quote, doesn't matter. So they don't really seem like they're going to be playing that hard tonight. That doesn't mean they won't win. But if they win the five seed, they'll get, obviously, Toronto or Chicago, and then they'll face the Pacers. Now, if you're the Nets, I do you want the Pacers or the Heat? Um, the piece, the Pacers. You sure? Yeah. I I, I think the Heat are still like they're still gonna make the finals. They're the Heat. I mean, it's that seems to be the overwhelming feeling. No, like they are. But the they Nets, have LeBron. The James. Nets are not afraid of the Heat. The Nets. I know they're not. No, they could play at home against the Heat and at in Miami. I don't think I. I think. My brother even said this. The, sweeping the Heat was probably the worst thing that could happen to the Nets because now if they play the Heat, they're going to be extremely angry, want to prove everybody that the regular season was a fluke. And if LeBron goes into you know LeBron mode, what are you going to do? You're not going to stop that if you're the Nets. Now it's time to welcome in our guest, Dan Devine, back to the show, at Your Man Devine on Twitter. And it is very, very cold in New York today, Dan. And I was wearing shorts yesterday, and then it snowed last night. And I'm just curious how you are reacting to this just terrible weather. Uh, I think poorly is probably the, <laughs> the best adjective for it. Um, I am mad. I'm mad <laughs> out here. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we soldier on. The hope is that... Uh, you know the the continual sort of turning that seems to be changing the the way things are every single like hour uh, will you know veer back towards seventy and sunny. I'm hopeful for that. I am really hoping that it gets back that way. And uh, you know the, the we have to kind of first off just wrap up the New York regular seasons here because while well, we're on the subject of New York and well Carmelo's done for the season. Uh, I, I I know that this question always gets asked, so I say it with like a cringe on my face. But I mean, is 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 that his last game as a New York Knick that we just saw a few nights ago? I, I think it's unlikely. Uh, I mean, I, I was wrong about this with Dwight Howard last year, so I'll put that out there as a caveat. But uh, you know, the the history of guys passing up the you know the the longest uh, most lucrative deal is pretty uh, you know pretty limited. There haven't been a whole lot of instances where that's happened. Um, I, I think that Carmelo Anthony understand. I think he he's he, you know he's made, you know made it sort of very public. Like he he wants to be. Uh, you know, he hasn't gone through the free agency process to, to this point. He'd like to, you know, sort of explore that. He has, uh, you know, he's you know about to turn 30 years old. He's got, you know, 10 years, 11 years on his legs. He wants to be competing for championships. But I think he's also, you know, he's wanted to be on the, you know, the New York stage. He's for all the the negatives that have come with it. He certainly enjoyed his time here over the last several years. And the fact that, I mean, this, you know, you, you don't know. Uh, what the sort of next contract would bring for him either. You know, he's going to be 30 years old. If you get the four, a four-year max deal or a five-year max deal, the next contract will be age 34, 35. This might be the chance for him to sort of cash in as big as he possibly can because we don't know, you know, what the, uh, you know, the latter stage of his career will look like. So I think the, uh, you know, the, the finances, the market, the, uh, you know, reboot, refresh of the organization under Phil Jackson, these are the sorts of things that I think could convince Carmelo Anthony to stick around. I, I, would, be, I would be more surprised if, if 
he didn't come back for five years, $129 million, then uh, if, you know, if he were to go elsewhere. That's fair. Um, and uh, I, I was pointed out, I pointed out last night because I was just curious, Raymond Felton has 27 blocks this year. Mari Stoudemire has 37, which is hilarious, and they play the same amount of games. But you look at um, the, the forwards and Melo and Amari, and that's all just kind of one separate thing. But Raymond Felton um, is not the point guard that you want to ideally be playing with uh, at, at the start of a game. And that's what it seems like the Knicks will do for next year and the year after even maybe if they can't get, you know, secure a nice point guard in free agency. I mean, what do you do at that position? Because it didn't seem like Woodson really wanted to try Murray or didn't trust Murray. Does he trust him next year? Like, I'm just curious what you think of that just specific position because it does seem like it's probably the most vital to the Knicks going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, the... You know, Felton was, was a, a humongous disappointment this season. I think that's uh, you know pretty fair to say. He's, it wasn't that he was necessarily a, you know an All NBA caliber point guard last year during the 54 and 28 season, but uh, you know the you know continual uh, defensive uh, lapses, you know inability to keep dribble penetration out of the lane, uh, con- you know constantly compromising the defense, highlighting all of the you know the worst aspects of Mike Woodson's defense, where you know you're constantly inviting switches, you're constantly you know being forced into help rotations that eventually leave somebody open almost invariably behind the three-point arc in the short corner or at the rim. Uh, a lot of that comes from just not being able to keep the ball in front of you up top, and a lot of that was on the Knicks guards, specifically on Felton. Um, and then on the offensive end, yeah, I mean, if your point guard's shooting 40% from the floor and 29% from three and missing a bunch of it, like a weird amount of his free throws, you know, it, it's kind of difficult to envision what he actually gives you on a night-to-night basis besides headaches. Um, I, I mean, the, the, the problem is, of course, that he's on, you know, on the books for another two years. The, the money's not huge. It's you know, less than uh, $8 million over the next two years. But still, you're, you know, he's, he's on the books and with a guaranteed deal for the next couple of years, and you can't imagine he's going to have much, if any, trade value. So as far as where they go next season, I haven't looked at the, at the free agent crop for available point guards just yet, but the Knicks obviously are going to be limited in terms of what they can do by being uh, over the cap and over the luxury tax just with their, you know, their main uh, you know, sort of core guys making eight figures a year, especially if they bring back uh, Carmelo. Um, I, I imagine that they're probably going to continue to go with Raymond Felton unless uh, you know they, they were able to secure a better option, uh, you know, through another trade or you know through you know sort of taking someone off the scrap heap the way they did with Terre Murray. I think the interesting thing will be to see if whoever I, I expect Mike Woodson to be gone as the head coach. I think that just about everybody expects that. Um, would the next man up, whoever that winds up being, be more willing to give some of those guys on, you know, make good deals or you know uh, you know sort of end of the bench in camp invitees uh, a shot to actually make the rotation because as we've seen the last few years as much as fans might not really focus on the back end of the roster or the, you know that might not those might not be the guys to get headlines those guys have wound up mattering in major ways for the Knicks you know that's where Jeremy Lin was that's where Chris Copeland was that's where uh, you know, and you know that's where a guy like Terray Murray or Cole Aldrich might have been able to make more of a difference this year had he been given more of an opportunity. And you do have to tip your cap to the Knicks scouting department. You mentioned all those guys. You roll off those names. I mean, those are they helped uh, over the last couple of years, and they found those guys. And uh, I do want to talk about the Nets now because we spent five minutes or six minutes kind of wrapping up the Knicks here. Because um, the Nets, you know, lost to the Knicks, and interestingly, in the existence of the Nets, they've never um, played in a season where they didn't have uh, a 
they, they've always had one game against the Knicks that's been under 10 points uh, of separation. So it's been really weird this year with them, uh, those two. But, you know, there was an article yesterday Beckley Mason posted kind of challenging the idea that the Nets, you know, maybe could get it done without Brooke Lopez. Um, I, I mean, do, do you really think that—what is the ceiling for this team, I guess? Because obviously the Pacers are struggling, right? So it looks like the Nets are probably the best— uh, challenge to the Heat, but what is their ceiling to you in the playoffs? I mean, yeah, I think so much depends on the matchups, right? Uh, I, I mean, it, it's looking like, uh, as we talked, that they're, uh, you know, they could still, you know, lock up the number five seed with a win in the season finale. They could wind up going down to number six. Jason Kidd said after the loss to the, the Knicks that, you know, fifth place, sixth place doesn't really matter. Basically, all the same thing. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's a logic to that because I think the, the Nets are going to have their hands full whether they wind up, you know, meeting the Toronto Raptors, a team that can, you know, uh, you know has been a much, you know, a much better offensive team than I think people realize since the Rudy Gay trade. You know, they're, they're a team that gets a lot of their, uh, of their open looks off of pick and roll and dribble penetration from Kyle Lowry on the outside, DeMar DeRozan getting into the paint, uh, you know, creating opportunities for either their big men and uh, Jonas Valanciunas and Amir Johnson or their three-point shooters. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, uh, the Nets have struggled somewhat uh, defending the three-point line. There's a good piece by uh, Alex Raskin in the Wall Street Journal about that. Uh, and the Bulls, I mean, if you the Bulls are just uh, there's a reason no one wants to play them because you know you, you walk out of every single one of those games with bumps and bruises and having had a pound of flesh taken off you. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm la- I mean, the, the 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 character of this year's Nets team is clearly a little bit different than the one last year, owing to the uh, presence of the veterans. They're a much deeper team, uh, and they you know they they certainly seem to to play with a different attitude. But uh, I'm I'm kind of going to need to see them take a series off of a more, uh, you know, together uh, experienced team. And that's the thing. I mean, if you, like, the, if the Bulls get down, if the Bulls get, you know, punched in the face in that first-round series, they're not going to freak out. They're going to come back and come back even harder. The Raptors, you know, a lot of those guys will be the, sort of their first main run. Uh, if they, if, I don't know that I see the Nets going further than two rounds. Um, if, if they wind up getting an opportunity to, to line up with Indiana, that would be, uh, you know, their best shot because I, just, I don't think, despite the, the regular season success against the Heat, I don't think that the version of the Heat we're likely to see in the postseason is going to be something that the Nets can beat four times in seven games. Um, but, yes, I mean, if they can get past the first round, at least I think you'd have to consider the season a success. But uh, can, then you, got, you look at the, uh, the title window with guys like Pierce and Garnett, it's pretty thin. So, um, you know, it, it remains to be seen sort of how much those guys can give in a postseason series. I guess kind of a weird question here is because you, you look at all this, the – just assets that the Nets traded, right, for, for Pearson Garnett. And, I, I mean, you'd like to think that, okay, a title is really the best, you know, okay, that makes it kind of a, a you know, worthwhile trade. I mean, what to you would make it a worthwhile trade? Because there's that argument, with, you know, not to go back to the Knicks, but to go back to the Knicks with, you know, the mellow trade. And, okay, well, you know, Howard Beck tweeted the other day, okay, well, it got you, you know, a couple first-round losses and then a playoff win last year. I mean, what makes that trade really worth it for the Nets? Well, I mean, it's. I guess it remains to be seen. So a lot of it will depend on what actually winds up going the Celtics' way. I think the counterpoint to the, uh, you know, the argument that the Mellow deal didn't really do a whole lot for the Knicks is that. You know, it hasn't exactly done a whole lot for the Nuggets either. You know, it's not like uh, Danilo Gallinari and Timofey Mozgov and Wilson Chandler have become all NBA players. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I, but that's that's an incomplete deal too because you know the first rounders will still be going there. Um, so I mean, it's difficult to judge a trade until 
you know sort of what the aftermath of it was. And the fact, I mean, the, the you know bringing Melo to the Knicks sort of energized that team in a way that there really hadn't been, uh, you know, and, and provided you know a several year run of success that the, the team hadn't had in a number of years. Um, with the Nets, I mean, it. I think it, we, it's, it's such a weird way to gauge this, you know, this season because it really it feels like a one-year deal because you don't know what you know Garnett's uh, plan will be next year. Right. You know, come the offseason, you don't know what exactly the you know the, those sort of older guys are going to be. Uh, you know how long they're going to be around and how you know how big a part of the plan they're going to be. But the, the it very it's very clearly a mortgaging of the future for the present. And what it winds up coming away with is either a 44 or 45 win season where you dropped on the seed line. Um, from the way from where you were a year ago, and you're probably not going to have you're not going to have Game Seven at home in the first round like you had last year, which didn't really wind up mattering because the Bulls took you out on your home court. Um, you're in a be- you're a better team, I think, overall than you were last year, but you might not have even the you know the the hope of, of getting of, of getting much further than you had last year. I, I mean, I think it's it's a success insofar as it energized Nets fans. It gave the you know uh, the, the the franchise something to sort of strive toward. Uh, it, it you know continue to sort of prove that management and ownership will you know pull out any stop to put together a winner. Um, but if it's another first round loss, then you know it, you're looking at you're looking at it and saying we really didn't get a whole lot of return on this investment. I'm just I'm just curious why you called uh, Timothy Mozgov and didn't, or didn't call him an All NBA player. Um, I, I come on, 29 rebounds. Uh, the Clippers, just on a completely different note. Um, well, they played the Nuggets actually, and uh, last night they have 57 wins coming out of this year. I picked them to go to the finals, which which is I I like the Spurs now I think a little bit, but I gotta stick with the Clippers. Um, is this? I mean, when is it going to be the year for the Clippers? Well, I, I mean, this is it's this is going to be a very fun one to watch because you know the we you know we've seen Blake Griffin go to another level in his game. We've seen Chris Paul come back from his injury and be able to sort of work his way in. To a team that sort of that is you know fundamentally changed, where Blake Griffin's playing a much bigger role as a facilitator. He's the unquestioned number one offensive option, and Chris Paul's there as like you know like he's he's not you know a number two, but he's sort of a very high class one A. And you know while so much will wind up depending on DeAndre Jordan as the defensive centerpiece there, when he's you know active and mindful and talking and you know working on you know you know playing his part in that strong side zone pressure help defense. Then that uh, can be a tough team to score on. But when he's you know chasing blocks or you know overhelping and leaving something open on the back end, good offenses that are disciplined and know how to attack that sort of Thibodeau Rivers system can score on the on the Clippers. So uh, you know the, the, the plus side for the Clippers is that they're healthier than they've been heading into either the last two postseasons. You know Chris Paul was dinged up in the second round a couple of years ago. Blake Griffin's had ailments the last couple of years. Um, they're going to be and you know they, there are more offensive options now that they've got J.J. Redick back and healthy. They're getting Jamal Crawford back from his injury. That's the, the, the offense won't, you know, shouldn't be an issue. They should be able to score against whoever they wind up seeing. And the way it looks now, they're going to be looking at a first-round matchup, with, or they could be looking at a first-round matchup with the Golden State Warriors, who are going to be without Andrew Bogut, which, I mean, they're probably going to get slaughtered on the glass by the Clippers uh, in, in that lineup. But, uh, I mean, not that you ever want to see Steph Curry just with a license to shoot, but uh, um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think that this is it's the best Clippers team we've seen since Blake got there, since CP3 got there. There's you know having being able to upgrade from Vinny Del Negro to Doc Rivers in a postseason situation, I think, is a pretty big deal. Um, you know, somebody's not going to get rattled. Somebody who knows how to sort of keep the guys on point and on task and draw up good plays in, in important situations rather than just saying, "All right, Chris, make something happen." Um, but there's so much power at the top of the West. I don't. If DeAndre Jordan is playing like the kind of player Doc Rivers has been telling everybody that he is, which DeAndre Jordan isn't that player, but if he plays like it for a few weeks, then the Clippers can beat anybody in the West. But I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to defend well enough to shut down San Antonio or Oklahoma City over the course of a seven-game series. Hey, man, you see Kendrick Perkins for long enough, and uh, and you think anyone's great. Um, but no, uh, it's it's so weird, too, because Blake Griffin missed that whole rookie season and uh, or just that whole first year in the NBA. I mean, imagine how good he could be if he had just had another year of development, which is really scary. Um, but I want to get to some awards, Dan. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you have Kevin Durant as your MVP, yes? Yes. Okay. Um, so that yeah, so that's boring. Most valuable player. I want to talk about your most uh, vehement player. Uh, who, who's who? Well, and just a, a couple of adjectives, starting with the letter V. Uh, who would be your most vehement player this year? Because I think Patrick Beverly would probably be mine. Uh, yeah, and vehement. You know, go, you know, going all out all the time, right? Yeah, I mean, Beverly is that kind of player for sure. Um, uh, Chris Anderson, the Birdman, continues to be very very high up at the top of that list. The, the, you know, when, whenever he's one of those guys where the permanent numbers are always so good that you're like, oh man, why is he only playing like 18 minutes? Why isn't he playing like 35? And it's because if he plays 35 minutes, he you know keel over on the court. Like he's he can't you know dial it back ever. He never stops going in. Uh, but yeah I, mean, yeah, I think this season for you, Patrick Beverly would probably. Be the best pick given you know his his increase in profile and the fact that he seems to now have beef with an opposing guard on every team in the Western Conference. Who'd be your most um, valueless player? Ooh, valueless player. Just no value. Oh man, uh, that's that is a difficult one. I mean, like it, like maybe Raymond Felton, right? Because he gets paid that's a lot of money he's and a, he's the first name that came to mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know, not to you know beat a dead horse and to you know unfairly speak ill right, of, right. of uh, you know someone who who can't really defend himself right now. Uh, I think you'd also have to consider Andrea Bargnani fairly high on that list, the guy who's making you know better than ten million dollars a year who. You know, was you know brought in supposed to be sort of the floor stretching power forward center that could open things up for the other guys in the offense. Obviously, did not do that. Um, you know, hurt himself and put himself out for the season by trying to dunk from just inside the free throw line. Uh, and that is from as soon as he went out of the lineup, the Knicks you know went from being a bottom third of the league offense to one of the top five in the league. So uh, I think a guy who's making that much money to make your team worse uh, probably would have to go up high on that list as well. I don't know. Maybe he'd be the most valiant player of the year because uh, he was so courageous in that dunk attempt. Uh, and look, I mean, these are the Knicks. I mean, you know, it's it's not a, a coincidence that two of the players that came to mind first are on the Knicks. Um, <laughs> the uh, who's your rookie of the year this year? And look, Michael Carter Williams is kind of dominating all the stack categories here. I've seen a few people try to argue for for Oladipo. It's got to be Carter Williams, right? I think he's going to win because he'll, you know, he'll have the flat, you know, the, yeah, the the flashiest across the board stat numbers. People, I mean, as mu- people kind of stopped paying attention to the 76ers because it's hard to pay attention to the 76ers, uh, but they remember the beginning of the season where he won like, you know, play, you know, rookie of the month, player of the month. He was getting those sort of or the player of the week in the uh, in the Eastern Conference's yeah. first week, I believe. Uh, and you know, the, uh, some of those surprising numbers that he put up, a couple of triple doubles there that look nice for him. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think you know, one he will. 
wind up winning because he'll have the best counting stats despite the fact that, you know, that you adjust for pace and those come down a little bit and his shooting percentages are scary. But um, uh, I think pr- the, 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 the rookie that I had most fun watching this season was Oladipo. Um, I, I think he's a, 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 the, the elements are there for him to become, you know, something like a Russell Westbrook or Dwayne Wade type player. Maybe not at that high, high a level, but in terms of his ability to serve as sort of a secondary ball handler or a you know, secondary scoring threat and, you know, be a, a terror defensively when he's locked in. Um, but, uh, you know, as an, as the, you know, an overall uh, contributor, another guy no one really saw much of because no one paid attention was Trey Burke out in Utah. Like, he missed the first, you know, 15 or 16 games of that season with a, a broken finger. He came back and, you know, really kind of righted that ship. Again, another, another guy who his scoring, you know, his, uh, his shooting percentages need to come up, and he has had some, you know, difficulties as uh, learning the first-year point guard. But uh, I think that he – I didn't think he was going to be very much as a pro because I didn't think he was going to be able to get separation and get his shot off. And he, he looks very much more like a keeper than I thought he did. And Nerlens Noel actually kind of might be up there too just because he hasn't played yet and he kind of gives hope. I mean, that's – I don't know. It, he, he, he's not Anthony Bennett. Um, right, but there, well, there's also the argument that, you know, you, you, you tell the most valuable player by how poorly his team plays when he's off the floor, right? So yeah, maybe Nerlens Noel gets a vote there. <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, Coach of the Year, are you giving it to Pop? Because that seems to be the popular choice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I personally think that he's the, the best coach in the league and maybe the best coach of my, you know, like uh, NBA, or certainly, you know, my NBA covering life over the last handful of years. But, you know, he, he might wind up going down as, you know, if not the most accomplished in terms of overall ring count, then just the, uh, you know, the ability that he's had to completely overhaul that team and keep that culture together. You know, they've moved over the years from, you know, slow down, grind you out, uh, you know, post up and D up team to, you know, the pinnacle of offensive effectiveness in the NBA—it's pretty amazing. Um, but I, I mean, the, the 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 guy who's more, I guess, more likely to win it because. Pops only won that once, which is kind of crazy, or is I think only once, maybe twice. But um, the guy more likely to win it, I think, is probably Jeff Hornacek out of the Phoenix Suns. I mean, keeping that team, a team that no one expected to do anything. Shedding a tear for the Suns right now. Yes, right. Yeah, I think we all are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the Internet has certainly uh, you know, shed its fair share <laughs> the of tears in the last you know, 48, 72 hours there. Um, but, uh, but I mean, that was a team that everyone, ourselves at Bottom Line included, expected to be contending for the worst record in the NBA. They uh, very much did not. Uh, you know, they got, uh, you know, Goran Dragic stepped forward as like a, you know, should have been all-star, fringe, all-NBA caliber player. Eric Bledsoe was, you know, went from like people's champ to somebody that you looked at and said, that guy's going to get a max contract at some point. Um, and, you know, plenty of guys that were kind of also rans or afterthoughts wound up, wound up mattering for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of the Plumley, the Morrises, a lot of of nice, nice pieces on that team. All right. Um, before we let you go, uh, we I have to get your favorite moment from this NBA season. Uh, I mean, it could be like Javale retweets. It could be, uh, I don't know, just anything like J.R. Smith related. Uh, just to kind of put a bow on this whole year, like how you'll remember the season. Not, it's not necessarily what the, the thing that'll make me remember the that I'll remember most from the season. But one of the things that I absolutely loved was right before the start of the season, after the the Celtics sort of tore everything down, and they were like, uh, you know, they filled the team with rookies and and you know, sort of uh, short time guys. Uh, they put out their media guide, or their, you know, their, you know, the, here's the team photos, here's the headshots for all the guys, and everyone's super excited. And then you look at Rajon Rondo, and he's the one guy in there that you. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, he's the one guy in there that you recognize, and he is just like stone 
face that looks like he's about to, you know, kill whoever's taking the picture. And it's right. It was like, well, this is the story of your, uh, you know, 2013-14 Boston Celtics right here. Um, but uh, I, I mean, yeah, the, uh, the the Suns at you know writ large is one big sort of fun moment uh, watching you know Bledsoe and, and Dragic kind of get going. Um, and yeah, uh, oh, and uh, Durant. Uh, the, you know, the a couple that I'll go with the buzzer beater or the, the game winner where he beat three Hawks. They were completely surrounded him. Oh yeah, the four he, maybe. Four it might even have been four. <laughs> right? There might have been a fourth guy coming over, um, and it was in the middle of that stretch where he was, you know, just absolutely lights out, scoring thirty plus every night. Um, and he, you know, went up over and splashed it, and uh, and all, and the shot over uh, to cap, I believe it was whatever it was, fifty four points, fifty one points against Toronto, where Amir Johnson's in his face, you know, hand up. He's, you know, 25 feet away and pulling up in overtime, and it's just like, okay, as soon as the ball left his hand, he just stopped. Everyone knew that it was going in. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a reason why Durant's the MVP this year, and he's authored a bunch of those sort of moments. I'm really surprised you didn't mention the little B Kevin Durant disrap. I thought that would for sure be right on the top of your Kevin Durant list. I don't know, man. I think I mean, little, I little B as uh, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons that I that I couldn't post that little B song. Um, <laughs> there's uh, you know a lot of language in SEC and yeah. without, not these violations, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I would like to see that one-on-one game develop, though. I, I think that little B might have a different perception of what Kevin Durant's skill set is like when he sees him on the court. <laughs> yeah, he says he could post Kevin Durant up. I would really, really like to see that That'd happen. Be fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dan, thanks so much. At your man Divine, uh, he's of ball don't lie and uh are you do you do the draft you the nba draft uh i did last year i don't know yet what it's going to be like for this year but uh yeah i i may well be back at barclays all right well i i will be there so i'll i'll say if see if i can say hi and uh thank you once again for for joining the pod and we look forward to talking with you down the uh down the road all right my pleasure thanks a lot for having me kenny so that was fun sorry you missed it you were uh yeah i had college work to do yeah just things to do um we should talk uh, before we get out of here. <clears throat> excuse me about the Clippers and the Nuggets last night. I think the Clippers are my sleeper again this year. I mean, I picked them to go to the finals, so I'm gonna kind of stick with that. But I mean, Blake Griffin is just so good. Well, he's really taking his game to the next level. Yeah, those those 20 games when Paul was out and he, I mean, they didn't play the toughest of teams, but he carried that team. Showed me a little something about. Blake Griffin, something that I do not want to see in the playoffs. Well, he can shoot. He has, I mean, and that's the thing, too. Like, I think this is a guy who might be able to add a three-point shot to his arsenal in a few years. And then that's like, I mean, he already kind of, sort of has he one. Was, he was perfect from the line last night. Right. He's oh, really improving his game. And I was saying to Dan, I mean, imagine if this kid had another year of experience because he was he hurt his, his whole year. rookie season. I know. Which, so it's like, imagine if he had that whole year to develop. Like, how good he'd be right now. And everyone, I mean, not everyone has kind of gotten away from thinking of him as just a dunker, but those incredible hops help him in the rebounding department. They help him in a lot of aspects of his game. I would, I'm looking at this game last night. I don't really see the Clippers. Who are they going to, like, who are they a bad matchup with? I mean, I, they're not. I mean, you look at you look at them playing like the Warriors. They just completely yeah, stand, I, say, kill them on the glass. Yeah, they'll. I think they're going to spank the Warriors in that first round series. I mean, you would just think the Spurs because the Spurs are complete and they're the Spurs. But uh, I mean, it's it's not like there's matchup problems with the Clippers. No, you know? they're they're very they're deep too. I mean, Jamal Crawford's obviously having a spectacular year, being able to bring him off the bench. Glenn Davis now adds some size. 
I, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of Jared Dudley as a bench scorer. He's but he's been bad this year. He's I think had a bad year. But I would well, he's a guy I want on my team in the playoffs rather than in the other. playoffs. Maybe I mean maybe there he's definitely could add some experience value. Yeah, I mean no. I, I look I I'm I like Jared Dudley too. But I looked I mean he's just he's just been horrid this year. That's okay. People have bad seasons, but I'd rather have him than someone's going to be detrimental to my team. I don't know if I'm picking the Clippers to go to the finals. I think I'm still on the Spurs bandwagon. I just think they've been playing out spectacular ball. Kawhi's back to being Kawhi. I just I don't see Manu's playing almost as well as he did in his prime. I don't see anyone beating the Spurs. They're they're very good this year, and I think I mean I think we're gonna see a finals rematch uh, of last year. Um, that would be. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, let's predict the finals right now, and then we'll kind of unpack it next week when we have the um more playoff. We have playoff the matchups and belt. stuff. And I mean, I mean, it could be impacted by the matchups, but I mean, as of now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna stick with Clippers Heat. I mean, that's what I, that's what I said pre the, the before we even started this podcast, yeah. way before the season. So I'm gonna stick with that. I'm gonna stick with the Heat from the East, and I just said. The Spurs from the West, I can't see a rematch not happening, especially with the way the Pacers are going. The Heat have been there. They might be a little tired, but they know when to kick it up. And a team like the Nets, they're they're fun. They're, they can compete with teams in, like the Heat. But in a seven-game series, talent and the better team usually win out, and the Heat are the better team. All right. Last thoughts on the playoffs that are coming up in a few days. Well, I'm going to take it, obviously, to Brooklyn because that's who I've been covering all year. All right, sure. I'm looking forward to seeing how a team that plays 10 guys works in the playoffs because it's going to be interesting because yeah, we were talking about, I think, last show about the depth. Like, usually a playoff bench is, like, not very seven, deep. Seven, eight people playing max. Right, with Jared. But now, I mean, it could be the with Nets the Nets will, deep. Ten guys will get minutes. You know, Andre Blotch kind of played his way out of some minutes. He was really pissed with his performance last night. They have you know, depth like we have not seen in a team coming into the playoffs in a long time. And you th- the the common the common knowledge is that these guys need to get into a you know a rotation. They need to really get their minutes in the playoffs so they can get into the flow of the game. Well the Nets flow is beating you with depth. So guys like Sean Livingston, guys like Alan Anderson, guys like Mirza Toledovich, I'm looking forward to see how they come in and out and work in a playoff series. Mirza in the playoffs would be great. Mavs Grizz tonight. I got I got the Mavs. I got the Mavs as well. And then uh the other game that matters, if I have to I have to scroll down for this one, but no, oh, it's oh the 76ers and the Heat and the Suns <laughs> and the Kings and the, the, the Clippers and the Trailblazers is gonna be a great game. A bunch of seeding movement tonight, yeah. maybe, but that's about it. We got Clips Clips Blazers, who you got? Looking forward to a huge night of basketball. Who you got? Oh, who I got and what? Clips, Clips Blazers. Clips Blazers? Give me the Clips. Clips? All right. Time to get out of here. Thanks again to Dan Devine, at Your Man Devine, of Ball Don't Lie. Go follow him on Twitter. And, uh, you know, go follow Matt on Twitter, at MattyRose16. And uh, at Kenny Ducey. And it's the Pick and Pod. We thank you for joining us. We'll see you next Wednesday.